we are continuing um, discussing the cross, and so today we're actually going to back up a little bit. So a couple of, like about six weeks ago before um, the mission trip, we talked about substitution, and then this past Wednesday we talked about um, propitiation. We're going to back up before we're talking about actually what the cross did and talk about why the cross was necessary. And why, why do we make such a big deal as Christians um, about the cross? And we're going to do it in answering three questions. Um, the first question is, why is the cross so important to Christianity? The second, who is responsible for crucifying Jesus? And third, why did Jesus have to die? So this is kind of just laying the foundation for why the cross is such a big deal. So I want to ask this question. What do you guys think are some of the most recognizable symbols or logos throughout the world? Swastika. As we think about symbols, right? So the swastika is something that most people recognize. The Nike swoosh. McDonald's, yeah, the American flag, it is, definitely, the peace sign, yeah, and we got a couple more here, all right, so these are the ones that I found that I thought were some of the most recognizable, so we've got McDonald's, good old golden arches, got Nike swoosh, which did you know in other parts of the world they call it Nike, they don't call it Nike, they call it Nike. Which is wrong. Right. Like, let's just all agree that, that that's wrong, right? <laughs> you guys know what that one is? Disney. Disney, okay. Yeah, Volkswagen. Okay, yeah, recycling sign. Google. Apple. That's a peace sign. We do have the swastika. Olympics is going to be pretty recognizable. And then we've got the cross, okay? And the cross is going to be one of the most, if not the most, recognized symbol. But did you know that the cross actually wasn't the first symbol of Christianity? You guys know what the first symbol for Christians was? Well, a fish. That's right, okay? It was a fish, and the reason is because in Greek the word fish Fish is ichthus, and it's uh, an acronym, okay? And so they would say ichthus I stands for Jesus, okay? That's kind of how they spell it in Greek. The X is Christos. The next letter is a TH sound. Um, theu, and then U is huyas, and S is soter, which means Jesus Christ, Son of God, Savior. So if you split up the, the word for fish, you could get that acronym, Jesus Christ, Son of God, Savior. And it was more of like a secret society sort of sign, right? So you would write, you know, a picture of a fish on the ground to kind of point the way to where the church was. Now, why would it be a secret society? Why would the church have to be secret? Persecution. Right. So there's massive amounts of persecution when the church began, right? Christians are being killed all over the place. And they're being killed largely on crosses. Okay, so to be... Um, one of the reasons why the cross was not adopted as the early sign of Christianity is because the cross was a symbol of pain and suffering and humiliation. Okay, It's not something that they looked to and thought, gee, let's make a silver one of these and put it on a chain and wear it around our neck because it was a horrible symbol. In fact, the earliest depiction of a cross as a Christian symbol is... It's called, it's graffiti, essentially, and it's graffiti in Roman times um, on the side of a wall, 
and it's been called um, Alexamenos Worships God, because that's what's written beneath it. And it's a picture of a young man with his hand up, worshiping someone who's on a cross, and it's a man on a cross with a donkey's head. In a sense, it's making fun of Christians. It's saying how ridiculous that Christians worship someone who died on a cross. And that's one of the earliest depictions of the cross. So we kind of get a picture for why the cross wasn't the earliest symbol that was adopted for Christianity. But obviously something happened, right? Because while we still see a fish and stuff like that on cars and whatnot, the cross is definitely the predominant sign of Christianity. I mean, why did that happen? Um, why didn't something else become the predominant sign? I mean, if, if you just think about all the other images in Christianity, there's a lot of different things that we could have taken as our symbol. Jesus said, I am the good shepherd. We could have had like a shepherd's staff. I am the bread of life. We could have had a loaf of bread, you know. Um, could have had a manger. We could have had the stone rolled away from the grave. Why the cross? And so let's look at some of the things Jesus said during his life to answer why the cross has become so important for Christianity. Well, Jesus spoke a lot about the cross when he was here on earth. Mark chapter 8, he says, and he began, or Mark says, and he began to teach them that the Son of Man must suffer many things and be rejected by the elders and the chief priests and the scribes and be killed and after three days rise again. This is the first of three clear statements when Jesus tells his disciples that he is going to the cross, that he's going to die. In fact, there's eight different allusions throughout the Gospels where Jesus is pointing his disciples and anyone who will listen towards the fact that he is headed to the cross. So Jesus spoke a lot about the cross. Jesus made the cross the central symbol of what it means to be his disciple. Okay, so in Mark chapter 8, verse 34, just a couple verses later, he says, if anyone would come after me, let him deny himself take up his cross and follow me. This is perhaps the most definitive statement of what it means to follow Jesus. That you take up your cross and you follow Jesus. So Jesus had this eye towards the cross. He says what it means to be a disciple is to take up your cross. Jesus then gives us two traditions as the church that we're supposed to practice. Two sacraments is kind of the the churchy word that we use for it. Um, And they are communion and baptism. And let's think about what those are. Communion is remembrance of Jesus's body being broken and blood being poured out where? On the cross, right? So Jesus says, there's a couple things I want you, the church, to do for all of time. And one of them is, And when you get together, I want you to have a meal and remember the cross. The other thing is, when anyone decides to follow me, I want them to get baptized. And what is baptism? Baptism is you symbolically going under the water and identifying with Jesus' death on the cross. It's you saying, I died with Jesus on the cross so that I can be raised up to new life, just like Jesus was raised to new life from the dead. And so the two sacraments that we have point to the cross, that we'll remember the cross. And not only that, but Jesus himself, as he talks about the cross, he tells us that the whole reason he came to earth was to die on the cross. Luke 19.10, Jesus says, For the Son of, Man came not to, or, Son of Man came to seek and to save the lost. And how is he going to do this? Mark 10, 
For even the Son of Man came not to be served, but to serve and to give his life as a ransom for many. So Jesus has this eye towards the cross, and he says, the whole reason that I'm coming, the whole reason I've come, is to give my life as a ransom for many. In the last moments of Jesus' life, we notice that Jesus is not looking backwards to a life that's been well lived. In John 12, verse 27, Jesus could have said, hey guys, or actually, no, let's just read this. No, now is my soul troubled, he says, and what shall I say? Father, save me from this hour, but for this purpose I have come to this hour. So he's looking to his death, his upcoming arrest and suffering and persecution and death. And he says, what am I supposed to say? Am I supposed to say, God, save me? Keep me from dying? No, this is the whole reason I've come. The whole reason I've come is to die. And then when we look at the Last Supper, when Jesus is sitting down with his disciples, Jesus has only literally a few hours left to his life. I mean, just think about that. He is just hours away from death. And as he's hours away, he says to his disciples, this is my body, this is my blood, do this and remember me. He's still pointing forward to the death. He's still saying, this is why I came. I haven't accomplished my mission yet. I mean, he could have said, look at all the people I healed. Look at all the sermons I gave. Listen, the sermon on the mount. Look at all that I taught. But he doesn't. He says, the mission's not done yet. The whole reason I came is to die. So Jesus' mission of 30 plus years wasn't accomplished until the last six hours of his life. We see it continuing throughout the New Testament. Peter, Paul, John, Hebrews, the book of Hebrews, we don't know who wrote it. Um, They all talk about the cross as the central object of Christianity. Okay, so to answer the question, why is the cross so important to Christianity? Our answer would simply be because Jesus taught that his primary purpose in coming to earth was to die on the cross. That's the reason why the fish was replaced as the symbol of Christianity and the cross became the central symbol of Christianity. Simply because we look at what Jesus taught and we say we have to make the cross the central symbol because that's what Jesus taught is it's the central symbol. So at each point, I want to give just a couple of thoughts as we, before we move on to the next point, okay? So if we were to apply this, what does this mean for our lives? Well, if the cross was central to Jesus' understanding of his own mission and why he came, then it should be central to our understanding of Jesus. When you guys hear Jesus talked about, I don't know if you hear Jesus talked about, um, but there's a lot of ideas out there about Jesus, People love to talk about Jesus, about being this really great guy, this miracle worker, this um, humble guy, guy who cared for the poor, who took care of people who were kind of marginalized and cast out by society. But they don't talk about the cross because that part is a little more offensive and a little more difficult to swallow. But if we're going to talk about Jesus, we can't avoid the cross. The gospel is not complete without the cross. So in sharing the gospel, we have to share the cross, even though it's ugly and bloody and ridiculous when people um, think about what it means, and it requires us to become face-to-face with our own sin and the fact that that's what had to happen in order for us to be saved. It has to be central to our communication of the gospel. Well, who is responsible for crucifying Jesus? If you guys were the judge and the jury for Jesus' death, and you guys had to put some people up on the stand that we were going to 
interview and say, you know, did you have a role in killing Jesus, who would you put up there, having read the Gospels? Who do you think should be up there? Um, Okay, let's just give me one so other people can give me a couple. Okay, so the religious leaders, we got the Pharisees and the scribes. We'll lunch them, uh, lunch. Lump, lump them all together. Lump them together. <laughs> Not even 10 a.m. got lunch on the mind. Okay, um, so we're going to lump them all together. Uh, so yes, so we've got the Pharisees and the scribes. Who else would we put on the stand? The Roman centurions, because they're the ones who did it, right? They're the ones who actually nailed them to the cross. Pontius Pilate definitely has a role in it. Good. Judas, Judas right? Anyone else come to mind? The crowd. the crowd, right? The crowd played a role. So let's go through some of these, okay? Um, we'll kind of go in the order that they show up in the story. We've got Judas. Judas, his role is very clear. He handed Jesus over to the authorities, didn't he? He betrays Jesus. Matthew tells us that um, one of the twelve named Judas Iscariot went to the chief priests and said, what will you give me if I deliver him over to you? And they paid him 30 pieces of silver, and from that moment he sought an opportunity to betray them, betray him. So what was his motivation? Money. Judas was motivated by greed, and so he hands Jesus over to those that he knows wants to kill him. And he hands him over to who? Who's he give them to? I can't hear. Whisper, whisper. Religious authorities, Caiaphas, Pharisees, scribes, this, this group, okay? So they hand them over to the religious authorities, um, and they're the first ones to, en- to kind of interview him. And we learn from Pilate that the motivation of the religious leaders was envy of Jesus. They envied his sway over the crowds, they envied his authority. They felt threatened by him. It says in Matthew 27, 18, that Pilate, uh, speaking of the Jewish leaders, knew that it was out of envy that they had delivered him up to Pilate. So they know that they can't kill him, though, right? So they're going to hand him over to Pilate. They hand him over to Pilate. Um, and Pilate, when he receives Jesus, very clearly says, I don't see anything wrong with this guy, Right? There's no reason for this guy to be killed. I can't, there's no basis for a charge. He's innocent. And he tries to pass him off to Herod. Herod says he's not going to do anything about it, sends him back to Pilate, right? Then he tries to just punish him and release him. He just has him whipped, and hopefully that'll make people happy, but it doesn't. And so eventually he hands him over to be killed. And his motivation? Cowardice. Pilate was a coward. He was afraid of the crowd. Okay, so if you'll remember, he wants to release Jesus. He actually says, here's a choice. You can have this murderous thug, Barabbas, or you can have Jesus. And they all screamed, give us Barabbas. And so out of fear of the crowds of people, he gives Jesus over to be crucified. The soldiers then take Jesus and crucify him. Well, we should talk about the crowd first. So the crowd as the one that insisted that Pilate crucify Jesus, right? Um, We kind of see in the Gospels that they're kind of being stirred up by the Jewish leaders. The Jewish leaders are there telling them that, you know, this is not what the Messiah is supposed to be. Jesus doesn't fulfill their idea of Messiah. And so they're going along with it. And then the soldiers take Jesus and they crucify him. 
So if that's all we had, we might say, what a tragedy. What a tragedy that this man came and had to be killed in this way. But these are not the only ones responsible for Jesus' death. Okay, so if we keep reading the Bible, we see a couple other things. We see that God is responsible for Jesus' death. In Romans 8, 31 to 32, it says, What then shall we say to these things? If God is for us, who can be against us? He who did not spare his own son, but gave him up for us all, how will he not also with him graciously give us all things? John Stott writes, Who delivered up Jesus to die? Not Judas, for money. Not Pilate, for fear. Not the Jews, for envy. But the Father, for love. So you see that God the Father, it was his plan that Jesus would come and die. And it was a plan that was motivated by a love for you and for me. That he wants to draw us back into communion with him and he knows there's no way to do it except through a perfect sacrifice. And so God the Father sends Jesus down to die for our sins. Now, we have to keep in mind that God the Father and Jesus Christ are one person, that they have the same desires, that they have the same goal. You can't pit them against each other. Like, you know, Jesus is this innocent victim, and God just sent him down to be killed. What kind of father would do that? And in fact, if we look at Jesus' own words, here's what we see. Jesus teaches in John chapter 10, verse 11, that I am the good shepherd, and the good shepherd lays down his life for the sheep. Okay, so um, Jesus says he's going to lay down his life. And then in John chapter 10, verse 17 and 18, it says, For this reason, the Father loves me, not uh, because I lay down my life, that I may take it up again. No one takes it from me, but I lay it down of my own accord. I have authority to lay it down, and I have authority to take it up again. This charge I have received from my Father. So on the divine level, we see that God the Father has given Jesus to us, and Jesus has voluntarily given himself up for ourselves, for us to die. Okay? Um, so as we face the cross, then we can say to ourselves, I did it. Nope, not yet. Um, anyways, sorry, I'm getting ahead of myself. Jesus and the Father are working together to save us out of love for us. That's the motivation. All right, so that's why Jesus is not a victim. He's not just a sad story. That the cross was his idea and he's the one who came to die on it in obedience to God's will. But we have to say, the cross wouldn't have been necessary if it wasn't for what? Why is the cross necessary? Because of our sin, right? So if it wasn't for our sin, there would be no need for a cross. We would still live in the Garden of Eden. There would be no sin that had to be paid for. So at the bottom line, the ones who are responsible for Jesus' death are sinners everywhere. Okay, back at Romans 8.32, he who did not spare his own son, but gave him up for us all. It's our sin that caused him to have to go and be killed. So... The cross, we've said, has to be central when we share the gospel. The second thing I want us to take away from this is that before we can see the cross as something that's done for us, we have to see the cross as something done by us. Okay, Before we can see the cross as something done for us, we have to see the cross as something done by us. That sinners everywhere, that you and me, 
we are the reason why the cross had to happen, why Jesus had to come and die on the cross. Okay? Last question is, why did Jesus have to die? And this is where we're just going to explore that last point a little bit further. Sinners everywhere were the reasons Jesus had to die. Let's look at it in three different scenes. Amen. (laughs) Fix the podium. Okay, here we go. Do I have any more notes? Just making sure you're awake. Some of you weren't. Why did Jesus have to die? So we're going to look at three different scenes, okay? Um, Just kind of picture this as if we're looking at three different scenes out of a movie of Jesus' life that give us a picture into why Jesus had to die, okay? The first scene is the Last Supper. And here's what we read at the Last Supper. Now as they were eating, Jesus took bread and after blessing it, broke it and gave it to the disciples and said, Take, eat, this is my body. And he took a cup and we had given thanks. He gave it to them saying, Drink of it, all of you, for this is my blood of the covenant which is poured out for many for the forgiveness of sins. So the first scene, it shows us what we just said. Jesus has come to die on the cross in order to forgive our sins. And that's what we've been talking about so far in our cross talks, that Jesus comes and takes our punishment, takes our place on the cross, that we're the ones who ought to be hanging on the cross, and he substitutes himself, taking our sin upon himself so that we might be forgiven when he pays our punishment. The second scene is in the Garden of Gethsemane. In the Garden of Gethsemane, we see Jesus going away and praying by himself, and here's what he says. He says, My Father, if it be possible, let this cup pass from me. Nevertheless, not as I will, but as you will. And so we see here that as Jesus is approaching his death, that he recognizes that it may be, probably is, God's will that he die. And so, why did Jesus have to die? Because God wanted him to die, and he wanted to obey God. He says, not my will, but your will be done. So he's most concerned with obeying God's will. And the third scene is this, that when Jesus had received the sour wine on the cross, he says, it is finished, and he bows his head, and he gives up his spirit. So the third scene on the cross is when Jesus says, it is finished, which just simply shows us that he died for all sin, that he had to die to forgive all sin, past, present, and future, and that there's nothing that we can do to pay for our sins because Jesus has paid for it all. There's nothing we can do to contribute to the payment for our sins, or there's nothing we can do to repay God, and that's what we're understanding a little bit better when we're talking about our crosstalks. Okay, so why did Jesus have to die? To forgive our sins out of obedience to God and to swallow up and and take the punishment for all sin of all time. So the last thing I want us to think about is this. Do we live like Jesus' final words are true? Do we live like Jesus' final words, it is finished, are actually true? If someone was to follow you around and and look at how you live your life and what thoughts are going through your head, do we actually live like the death of Jesus 2,000 years ago on the cross was enough to save us from our sin? Or are we living in a way that shows that our salvation is Jesus plus something else? 
that we're really basing our salvation on our good grades, on our ability to not steal or lie or cheat or get in trouble at school, um, our attendance at youth group or church? Is it something else that we are trusting in in order to save us, or are we really trusting in Jesus to save us from our sins? When we truly understand why Jesus died, this is a really sweet truth that um, has kind of struck me as we think about this. When we truly understand why Jesus died, we see that he died out of an undeserved love for us, that we didn't deserve the love that he showed us on the cross. And because it's an undeserved love, we've done nothing to earn it, there's nothing we can do to actually lose it. Have you ever thought of that? That if, there's, if you've done nothing to earn the love that God has shown you in the cross, then there's nothing you can do to lose the love that God has shown you in the cross. And so that's what we see in the cross, that Jesus had to die out of love for us and obedience to God for the forgiveness of our sins so that we might be saved and be put in a position where our salvation could be actually secure, where there's nothing that we could do to lose it once we had turned in obedience to God and repented of our sins and believed in Jesus as our Savior, that there'd be nothing we could do to lose it. We can apply that to the life of Juliana. We've talked about this before. We've talked about suicide before and how there's this question out there for some people as to whether or not suicide is this unforgivable sin. That if you die committing suicide, that that's one thing God will send you to hell for. And we see that that's just not true. That if Jesus really says it is finished, that he really swallowed up all the sins of each person, that for Juliana, someone who clearly writes in her journal that she has a heart to repent and follow the Lord, that even though her last act was one of taking her own life, that there's nothing that should make us doubt whether or not she is with Jesus right now. That she is with Jesus because when he's died 2,000 years ago and said, it is finished, he paid for the sin of taking her own life, and now she's with him. And I think that's a really comforting thought. Let's thank the Lord for what he's done for us on the cross. Our Heavenly Father, we know that we are sinners, that there is no end to our sin. That despite the fact that um, we're in various places in our life and various stages of desiring to follow you, some of us have decided to follow you, others have not. But for those who have decided to follow you, we praise you that there is an assurance that because of the cross and because of Jesus' final three words, it is finished, we can rest assured that our sins are paid for and are forgiven. And there's nothing that we can do in the future and there's nothing that we've done in the past that is unforgivable. In fact, it was for the purpose of forgiving our sins that you came, Jesus. And it was out of love for us, God, that you sent Jesus and love for us, Jesus, that you came in faithful obedience to your Father, that you would die for our sins and save us. And yet, Lord, we know that there is nearness to you that we are not experiencing when we decide to continue in sin. 
And so I pray for those who have not yet accepted the cross, have not accepted the um, sacrifice that you have paid on their behalf on the cross. And we just pray that your spirit would move in their hearts so that they too would repent and believe in the gospel and experience the salvation that you have bought with your precious body and your precious blood on their behalf. And for those who have accepted the cross, Lord, we ask that you would allow us to live in the power of the cross, that you have conquered sin and death in our own hearts, that you've given us your spirit to empower us against the trials and temptations that face us day after day, that you would help us to fight sin and to run well the race set before us, as your word says. For those who are feeling discouraged today in their fight with sin, I pray that you would encourage them with the knowledge that you have forgiven them and that there's nothing they could do to lose your love or forgiveness. For those who are contemplating sins and pursuing them and acting on them, God, I pray that you would help them to act with accordance, uh, in accordance with what you've done for them and, and choose the righteous life that you have bought for them, Jesus, knowing that they don't just have to act on their own power, but that you've given them your spirit to help them. And I pray that you would help them to trust that following and serving you is the most joy-filled life that they could have. Help us all with this, as it's a constant battle for each one of us. I pray this all in Jesus' name. Amen. Well, guys, I hope you have a great rest of your day. Come back tonight to hear a little bit from the Slovenia team at the tailgate barbecue.